Welcome to Stay at Home, Mom, with your illustrious host, Leslie Goodgesell, mother to six beautiful daughters, wife to an amazingly hardworking and supportive husband, homeschooler, and homesteader in the making. Join me on this journey, this blessing of what motherhood looks like. miracles, things that cannot be explained by this natural world, something that seems so unlikely to happen, but you can see it and touch it and feel it and experience even though everything around you tells you there's absolutely no way. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today on Stay at Home Mom. So shortly after my fifth baby was born, we earned ourselves a stint in the local hospital NICU. She had aspirated the day we were supposed to be discharged, and we could not figure out what was wrong with her because she appeared to be a perfectly beautiful, healthy baby girl. But there was a weird thing when she was first born. Her cry was like really, really quiet. We couldn't figure out why. So after she aspirated and she had to be suctioned and they rushed her to NICU and they had done scopes and all kinds of things. They couldn't find anything wrong other than the fact that it appeared that her throat was kind of swollen. They assumed it was because she had been suctioned. So we take her home. We start this whole process of trying to keep her alive, which was quite daunting. I did not sleep for the first four years of this daughter's life. She would choke almost every single time she would eat or drink. When she was first nursing as an infant, the side that was laying down, milk would just pour out of her one nostril as she was eating. I mentioned it to her pediatrician. Pediatrician's like, well, you know, no big deal. She's gaining weight. She's she's not aspirating, blah, 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 blah. Except she wasn't aspirating. But every time I would set her up to burp her, she was gagging and choking. And I was giving her the baby Heimlich maneuver every time I fed her. It was a little chaotic. It was a little difficult trying to figure out what was wrong with this sweet baby of mine. We went to multiple ENTs in two different cities. We went to multiple pediatricians in two different cities. We asked as many people as we could, and we prayed like we have never prayed before. And when I say something testing your faith can really send you in two directions, it'll either push you closer to the Lord and closer to your spouse, or it'll push you in the opposite direction. You will blame the Lord, and you will blame your spouse, and you will feel alone, and you will start to isolate. James and I, being the people that we are in that fact that we are best friends, we really do press into each other. We lean on each other when we're going through hard times, which I'm super thankful for. If we didn't have that, I don't think we would have made it through the season that we were about to face with this daughter. When baby number five turned two, I was pregnant with baby number six. Throughout that whole pregnancy, this child, my Sophia, anytime she got a cold, it turned into this big, huge episode where she'd quit breathing at night. We were dealing with a lot of just really odd things that we had never experienced with our other four kids. In my process of trying to find answers, you know, she had been misdiagnosed with croup. She was misdiagnosed with food sensitivity. She was misdiagnosed with all these different things. It wasn't until after baby number six was born 
all of my kids kind of came down with like a, a cold, just the sniffles, the coughs, the things that all kids go through when they're little and their immune systems are exploring all the world around them and stuff. And she was having an episode one night and I think I hit my breaking point. I didn't know what to do because we were doing all the things we had always done. We were doing the essential oils. We were doing the hot, steamy showers and then the cold, ice, cold air kind of a thing. We were doing all of the things that we knew how to do without drugging our child with pharmaceutical drugs. And I'm not even saying that I wouldn't have given her a pharmaceutical drug at that point because we really probably would have done anything that we could have to help her. But I didn't feel like there was a drug that could help her. I didn't know what the issue was. As James and I are up at three o'clock in the morning dealing with this now almost three-year-old who is struggling to breathe and she's all congested and her throat is swollen, obviously, I get on my phone and I search the best ENT in the state of Michigan. I don't even know what to do at this point. I haven't slept for three years. I am exhausted. I have an infant. I'm trying to juggle this infant with this child who hasn't slept well and literally stops breathing every time she's sick. That Every time she takes a drink of water, we're giving her the Heimlich maneuver to the point where her older sisters, who are 11 and 8, I mean, they know how to give the Heimlich maneuver to their younger sister because we've had to do it so much. My entire family is trained in this at this point. So I do the search. University of Michigan, Ann Arbor comes up. I call them the next morning and say, these are the symptoms my child's having. I need to know who can answer my questions because it's three years into this. I haven't slept. And they give me the name of a doctor. They get me on the schedule to get in within a month. As far as hospitals go, I would say they're the best. So we make our appointment. We go to the hospital the next month. We sit in the room after we're called back. And he walks in and he says, okay, can you tell me a little bit about her history? So I go into this whole story of all the things that we've been dealing with. And he just goes, hmm, can I scope her real quick? And he sits us down in the chair and he scopes her and he said, just what I thought, she has laryngeal webbing. What the heck is laryngeal webbing? I've never heard of that before. Well, come to find out, laryngeal webbing is when in your larynx, where your vocal folds should make a V shape, webbing actually creates a web somewhere within the point of that V shape. Hers covered 52% of her airway. She only had 48% of an airway, which explained why she chokes easily. Her voice was really high pitched. She struggles to breathe. She's very raspy. A lot of the other weird symptoms we were seeing for the last three years. And I just looked at him and I thought, oh my gosh, you seriously have an answer for me. I have waited so long for an answer. Sir. And I said, what do we do? And he said, well, best case scenario, we can just go in there with a CO2 laser. We can laser it back open. You know, it'll create a little bit of scar tissue. She'll have to come back every few years or whatever. And we'll check it and maybe do more CO2 lasering to keep the scar tissue back. Or worst case scenario, it's going to be too thick to cut with a laser and we will have to go in with a reconstructive surgery, which means we will cut her neck open at her larynx. We will cut out that tissue. We will take a bone graft from her rib and put it in the place to open where that webbing was to keep her airway open. Best case scenario, she'll have to come back every few years to get some scar tissue lasered down. And I was just like, okay, well, we're going to pray for the first one, <laughs> not for the next one. So that was in October-ish, I believe, of 2015. Her appointment was scheduled for December. We were prepping to go in December and my kids got sick. So when you're going to go to the hospital for a procedure, you can't go if you're sick. And so I kept everybody home. We went in January to do the CO2 laser. So they take her back. They say, you know, we should be back there about an hour and then we'll let you know when she's in recovery. We're waiting and 15 minutes later, they say she's in recovery. And we thought that's really abnormal. 
and they come out and they say, we couldn't do the CO2 laser. It's actually much thicker. We're going to have to do the reconstructive surgery. And we were devastated, <laughs> absolutely devastated, because how do you make a decision to completely alter the physical body of your child, knowing that it's going to affect the rest of their lives, but they don't get a say in this? That's really hard for me because my child's body belongs to my child and I don't want to alter their body in any way, shape or form without their consent. And when they're that young at three years old, four years old, they don't they're able to give you consent. So we struggled and we prayed and we prayed a lot. And every time I prayed or I was reading scripture or I was worshiping, the same thing kept coming to me. And that was that she was going to be healed and that it was his will, the will of our creator for her to be healed. James and I sat down and decided this I, after I did a lot of research, don't get me wrong. I We didn't make a decision like, oh, well, you know, we prayed about it and we just felt good about it. Which, yes, that is the majority of it. If I wouldn't have prayed about it and didn't have peace, I wouldn't have done it. But I did a lot of research and I made a lot of phone calls to make sure it was our only option. Because putting your child under a knife is it's no small thing, right? We had already had three babies in NICU. That was hard. But thinking of a reconstructive surgery on her airway, that scared me. That's a lot. We decided to go through with the surgery and we were standing in faith and believing that this was how she was going to be healed. But my number one prayer through all of it was, Lord, use the hands of those surgeons to do what needs to be done physically to my child, but make sure you are the one that heals her and you get all the credit. And at the time, it felt like a very, very valid prayer. It felt like it was the most faith-filled prayer that I could have prayed at that moment. And looking back, I think, how foolish of me to say something like that. Not that I don't want the Lord to get the glory for everything that happens in our lives. But when you pray something like that, he's going to show up. (laughs) That's what I learned. I can't be willy-nilly with my prayers. So what happens? We have her surgery set for May. We find an Airbnb, a whole house that is close enough to the hospital that we can take all of our kids with us because we are told that at minimum she will be in the hospital for two weeks. So we're believing that everything's going to go perfectly. We'll be in and out in two weeks and we'll be home and she will be healed. The couple that rented us the Airbnb actually ended up giving it to us for free. The wife of the couple worked at U of M. She was an anesthesiologist who worked in pediatrics, but she wasn't on Sophia's case. Overall, the whole experience was quite miraculous how everything was ordered by the Lord as we were stepping out in faith in everything that we did. So in the months between January and May, Sophia would tell everybody, I'm going to get cut here, pointing at her neck, and here, pointing at her rib, and Yeshua is going to heal me. I mean, I take that back. She said, Jesus, Jesus is going to heal me. I'm going to get cut here and I'm going to get cut here. And Jesus is going to heal me. And she told everybody this in her tiny little itty And it was amazing to watch her faith that she was going to be able to breathe better. We weren't going to have issues with choking and stuff. She had this incredible faith that this was going to happen. And so we went ahead. We moved our whole family to Ann Arbor for a couple weeks. She goes into her surgery that morning. And I remember having peace and trusting that the Lord was going to do everything that needed to be done. And it was going to be done in a way that it was going to leave the surgeons and everybody in the operating room astonished. And they came out In three hours, like they would give us updates every little bit. Oh, things are going good. Okay, they're doing this now, blah, 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 blah. 
They came out after three, three and a half hours. I don't remember now. The surgeons said everything couldn't have gone more perfectly. It actually went better than textbook were their exact words. It turned out once they actually opened up her neck that she had two other malformations in there and they were able to actually correct them, which first they were astonished that they were there because it's something that they didn't say that they had really ever seen before. So it was pretty amazing that they were able to fix these other two malformations that she had going on and fix her larynx all at the same time. They were able to get every everything done and it took them an hour less than they anticipated because it just went so smoothly. And I believed that that was the Lord and I was thanking him and I was praising him that this was her healing. So the next six days, they told us we're going to be rough because she was going to need to be sedated and she was a critical airway patient. We were warned that there wasn't a lot for us to do because she was mostly going to be sleeping and that it was really going to be once they started waking her back up after she was extubated that we were going to need to be there because she would be going through withdrawals and stuff. I want to say it was only the first two or three nights that she was in the hospital that James or I didn't stay at the hospital with her because we just couldn't be away from her. That's difficult for me. I don't trust my children with anyone. And so it was incredibly difficult for me to be away from her. And I didn't sleep at night anyway. So all of the details of everything that we walk through are on our Sophia's Surgery Facebook page. All of the live videos that I did, kind of taking people along the journey with us, are there. If anybody wants to check it out, you are more than welcome to because I'm going to just give you the highlights of what we experienced. Um, but all of the details, the tears that I cried and the prayers that I prayed are they are there and it is public because I wanted to share her story with people. We believe that we have a creator that divinely and uniquely created our bodies to heal themselves. We believe that our creator gave us a way of redemption to provide us with eternal life. We believe that our creator believes the best of us always, even when we aren't the best of ourselves. But we also fully believe in miracles, that he can do anything he wants to do and nothing is impossible for him. We believe that this surgery was her healing, but I'm going to tell you the surgery was not her healing. I'm going to try to not cry while I talk about this next part that we endured because it was the most painful thing as a parent to watch your child go through. But it was so encouraging and rewarding at the same time. The day my daughter was supposed to be extubated, which means taking out her breathing tube, there was a lot of trials and a lot of issues that we had between the day after surgery and the day of extubation. We fired nurses, doctors that were on her case. Uh, we dealt with a lot. We were her only advocates and we were going to fight fiercely for our daughter because we believe that we serve an Elohim who can do above and beyond anything that we could ask or think. Thankfully, our surgeons, they were also believers. They also prayed with us and they believed with us. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> the day she was extubated, we found out that her vocal fold weren't working properly, so they needed to re-intubate her. They pumped her full of steroids, hoping that it was just inflammation they could take it down. That didn't work because a day later when they extubated her again, her vocal folds completely shut and they realized they were paralyzed. What does this mean? Well, this means that they need to extubate her because at that point she had been intubated for 10 days and that was about four days longer than they anticipated. <laughs> So they needed to get that breathing tube off her vocal folds. Her surgeon was convinced that it was the pressure of the vocal folds causing the paralysis, that it wasn't anything that they did during surgery. And I believed him when he said that. I fully believed him because he came to us with tears in his eyes because he did not want to tell us what he needed to tell us. And that was that my baby who just suffered probably one of one of the harshest experiences 
typically these surgeries are done around 18 months of age. And she was already for not the news you want to hear when you were believing that the surgery that was just performed was her miracle. That was wow. That was how she was going to be healed. And the miracle that proved that the Lord was the one that did it was the fact that it didn't take so long, right? That wasn't, that's what my mind said. I quickly realized that how I think things should go is not always how they're going to go. I went home to the house that we were staying in and I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried some more. And I mean, when I say cry, I mean, standing in the shower, screaming at the top of my lungs, why this is not healing, being intubated for this long and then being told that now you don't even get to use your voice because we're going to put a trait. I was devastated. Like, this is not what I wanted for my daughter. If I knew that this was going to be the way that it was going to go, I absolutely would have never done it. Absolutely would have never done it. And I think that's where faith comes in. Because as I was standing in the shower and I was crying out to Yahweh and saying, why? Why is this happening? This is not how I wanted this to be for her. And you told me that she was going to be healed. She told you, you have to honor what her faith said. And she said, I'm going to be healed. And in that moment, I heard the still small voice. And I, it's so cliche because so many people say it, but it was almost audible and it was so soft and it was so quiet. And I heard she is healed. And I struggled to say that without crying because I knew it. I knew it in the core of my entire being that she was healed, but it didn't look the way I wanted it to. It did not look at all the way I wanted it to. It didn't look the way that I expected it to. And so I stood up and I said, okay, I trust you. I'm trusting you. And I call her healed. And this is where I learned. I learned two very, very, very important things outside of be careful what you pray for because he listens. And one was that he has a name and we need to call him by his name because there is power in his name. And without that name, we lack the power that we need to see the miracles that we want to see. And the second was that he loves us so much more than we really understand, than we can really comprehend. And he honors his word. It never returns void. His grace is so amazing. We are so undeserving sometimes of the love and the forgiveness and the grace that he offers us. But at the same time, he created us knowing that we were going to need those things. He's a really amazing creator. So we stood on his word and on his promises and realized the power of his word. Words are extremely powerful. And we learned in order to protect our daughter, we needed to be careful of the words that were spoken over her. Anybody that said, oh, poor baby, or I'm so sorry, or it doesn't look good. We got rid of them. We didn't let them in. We didn't let them in her space. We didn't let them talk that way about her because he said she was healed and she was healed. It didn't matter what we were seeing on the outside. It didn't matter that everything looked awful. And when I tell you awful, the withdrawal she experienced and the issues and the trauma that she went through is far worse than most children have. And even the nurses and the doctors at the hospital were in shock of what she was enduring. It was our job as her only advocates to make sure that we were creating an atmosphere for her healing to fully manifest itself, for it to actually come to fruition. So we did. I actually yelled at my own mother on the phone when she said, well, you know, so-and-so's son had a trach and I told her to stop. I was like, stop right there. I don't even want to know. Your words are not going to create the world of my own daughter. Your words are not going to dictate the direction that this is going to go, she is going to be healed. One of the things I asked the surgeon when he told us that 
Sophia was going to need a trach was, and he gave us the rundown, right? He said, best case scenario, she'll have it, you know, two months. Worst case scenario, it'll be a year, but most likely she'll have the trach for about six months. And we said, okay, has anybody ever left the hospital without a trach? And he just looked at me and kind of shook his head and kind of almost giggled under his breath. Like, no, that's never happened. And I said, okay, it's going to happen. So that's what we were believing for. We stood on our faith. We took his word and and we said, you t- you called her healed. You spoke it to me. It's in your word, verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. It is your will that she be healed. And her faith said that this is what you were doing for her. So we're going to stand on her faith because she's trusting that you're going to bring her through this and heal her and that she will never have to look back again. And we made sure that we spoke that life over her. No matter what we were feeling, no matter what we were seeing, it was worth every minute of it. So James would stay at the hospital with Sophia during the day and I would go home to the Airbnb with the rest of the girls during the day so I could make meals and stuff like that. I would maybe get a couple hours of sleep and then I would go back to the hospital at night and I would stay up and pray all night long. I maybe in the 26 days that we were at the hospital, I think the most sleep I got in one night of that whole time was maybe four hours of sleep. And that was at the very beginning. I spent a lot of time praying, and that's when I learned his name. Because as I was praying and as I was interceding, and that's something that I've done for 20-some years, um, I I felt this desire, this overwhelming pull to pray and pray in the name of Yeshua. And that wasn't something that I'd ever done before, and I didn't really understand. I, I had heard that Yahushua or Yahshua was Hebrew for Jesus, or that was his actual name but it wasn't a name that we had really used. I started praying in that name. That's when we saw mountains move. That's when we saw miracles that we couldn't explain. One morning when I was meeting James in the foyer of the hospital for him to go up to Sophia and I was going home with the girls, he said, ask Sarah had a dream last night. And so when I got in the van, I said, Sarah, tell mommy about your dream. And so she said, I had this dream that Sophia was leaving the hospital and she came out of the hospital and she had this white bandage on her neck and she was holding a teddy bear and she didn't have a trach anymore. And I started bawling. When Sophia got the trach, in order for her to be discharged, James and I had to go through all of this uh, training, knowing how to give CPR with a trach, how to take the trach out, how to clean the trach, how to suction the trach, how to keep it moist. We needed to do all of her care because we were going to be her caregivers. And that was very that was very hard. The first time in my life I ever realized I can do hard things. I can do very difficult things. I didn't want to, but I could. And Sarah tells me her dream. I start bawling and I said, that is prophetic. That is a prophecy. And we're going to stand on that promise that you were given. 13 days after she got the trach, she was decannulated, which means they took her trach out. So what happened between getting the trach and 13 days was just the power of prayer and keeping an atmosphere of faith and trust that big things can happen even when it doesn't look like it. My daughter was able to come off of pain meds, come out of the absolute worst withdrawal that that hospital had seen in decades. She got complete movement and a vocal fold back and they said, we're going to cap her and see how she does overnight. If she does good, we'll decannulate her. And she did great, and they decannulated her, and they discharged her the next day after monitoring her for 24 hours. So we believe in miracles in our house. We believe, Yahweh, there is nothing too big for him. Now, does this mean that because somebody dies of cancer or has a sickness or something that they just didn't have enough faith to survive? No, I don't think that's how it works at all. 
I do believe scripture when it says your faith makes you well. As a man thinks, so is he. Our thoughts, our words, our intentions all direct the path of our lives and where we're going. I don't know that we can really alter the will of our creator for our lives. If it is his will, it will be. I do believe that we can contend for ourselves and for our loved ones, though. I do believe that we can see miracles, not just because he thought, I'm going to use this as an opportunity for a miracle, but I think that he is so loving and so gracious that he looks down on us at times and he's like, oh, you are such a sweet, precious child to me. I'm just going to give this to you because I love you. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you've done this or that or you do anything for me. I'm just going to do it just because. When we lose someone or we see someone suffer, does that mean he doesn't love them? Absolutely not. And if I'm being completely honest, I believe that death is the ultimate relief of all pain and suffering. I believe going into our eternal existence is probably the greatest gift we can be given. There is no suffering. So I find his grace, whether in this miracle that we see before our eyes in a healing or the miracle of them stepping into eternity, would I would I say that a little differently if this ending would have been different for my family? I don't know. I can't speculate that I would or I wouldn't because I really don't know. I did not know how I would handle the situation that I was in before I was even in it. It is a hard thing. It is a hard thing to go through. I learned that I can do hard things. Our words are powerful and our creator is more powerful than anything else in this world. And that gave me hope and it still gives me hope. I kind of want to share a little bit about what my kids went through and what their experience was. I would like to welcome Josie to the podcast. I would also like to welcome Sarah, but she ran away because she doesn't want to be on the podcast. So welcome, Jos. Hi. I have a couple questions that I just want to ask you about the experience that we went through with Sophia. Do you remember that? I mean, it was like six years ago now, but do you remember it? I remember a few. Okay. What do you remember most about that time? Going to the hospital and visiting her and talking to her when she could talk through that little trach thing. With the passing mirror valve that she got? Yeah. It was fun. That was really fun when we got to walk around and look at places, but I really just liked to be around her at that time. Yeah. Were you scared? Kind of, because it was such a big hospital, and I, ne- I, wouldn't, I didn't know what was going to happen to her, but I had hope she would come out without a trach. What, what gave you that hope? Well, Sarah had a dream where she came out without, Sophia came out without a trach. Mm-hmm. And that just stung in my heart like a bee coming and stinging me with hope that she would come out without a trach. So that's pretty much That's pretty much it. That's, that's pretty much it. So then that's what happened. With everything that we experienced, right, as a family, that was a lot. Do you feel like it was a lot? Because I feel like it was so much. And it was a hard thing, wasn't it? You saw me cry a lot, huh? There was so much crying. There was so much crying. There were so many tears and so many boogers. There could have been 20 buckets full of tears. Seriously, there might have been more than that. Like, Mom cried a lot. Did you guys cry a lot, too, even when I wasn't there? When you and Dad stayed over at the hospital with her, everyone would go to one room and cry or something like that. Like, everyone would talk or Everyone would cry. Even if Nana and Grandma were there? Even if Nana and Grandma were there, we would go into there and talk to her and cuddle her. And when she said it was time for bed, we would go to the rooms and we would quietly whisper to each other and pray a lot, a lot of praying that she would come out without a trach. Yeah, that was that was hard. That was such a hard season for us. 
Do you feel like it helped grow your faith? I do because now in more days that I believe in something and sometimes I'll have dreams about something and it will become reality. So the more faith I have, I think the more Yahweh will show me in my dreams of what's going to happen and how I can prevent bad things from happening. Yeah, well, that's scriptural, right? It says that the young people will have dreams and see visions. So you feel like it helped helped you have a stronger faith when we walked through that and we saw that miracle. Yeah. It was pretty amazing, wasn't it, for her to come home without a trach? And her be right up in Adam and playing, running, all of the things. Yeah, because they didn't think she'd be able to do any of that because she wasn't able to move for so long. And then she got out of the hospital bed and was walking around the whole hospital. Yep, that was amazing. Thanks for letting me know how that affected you. That's no problem. <laughs> I appreciate it. I love you, kid. I love you, too. <laughs> Come on. Okay, you can go back to doing whatever it was you were doing. Clean. Okay, have fun. It definitely changed the trajectory of our entire family to go through that. We all experienced it in a different way because we all have different relationships to Sophia, but it definitely, definitely, definitely impacted our individual faith and and the things that we trust and we believe our creator for. He is the one who provides. He is the one who saves. He is the one who heals. He is the one who is the banner over us. He is the one who is our foundation. He is the one who provides the strong tower for us to run to. He is everything that we need and more. And I will say that there has never been a moment in my life that I doubted that he knew what was best for me or my children. And there will never be another moment in my life that I I won't believe everything that his word speaks. I hope that everyone has enjoyed this little journey through this little blip of a miracle that we experienced in our family that set us on the trajectory of where we have been going in the direction we're heading right now. That amount of faith is actually one of the reasons we're in our RV. It's one of the reasons we decided to move across the country and take the steps towards self-sustainability and, and living the life that we do. I appreciate you sharing your time with me and I pray you were blessed. And I pray that if you have walked through something like this, that you find encouragement, if you find yourself in this situation where you have a child in the hospital and you are believing for healing, you are believing and standing on your faith, I pray that the Lord will give you the words that you need, that he will put the people in place that need to be there to surround you and your family, to give you hope and a future, to tell you exactly what you are supposed to do, who is supposed to be in there to get rid of those naysayers and the ones who won't speak life and that you will surround yourself with every single good thing because we can see miracles in the land of the living. Continue to build your house, embrace your family and tell them how much you love and appreciate everything they do even when they leave you a mess and drive you crazy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stay at Home Mom with Leslie Goodgesell. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, which is Goodies Gabbings. You can see what our family's up to on our homestead. We appreciate you and pray that you have an amazing day. Bye.